we almost made it through 33, so we're going to actually start at the very end of 33. But before we do that, uh, you have a handout tonight that has a map. Uh, And so the map, because we're talking about a whole bunch of cities and stuff, that uh, they're just weird names. And but if you can get an idea, uh, we're actually dealing with real places. And uh, if you look on the back, it basically the back of it is the travels of uh, Jacob. And so it just shows all the major places that he visited. And so in the past couple of weeks, we've been kind of at four, five, six, seven, and eight, and actually nine. So, but if you if you look on your map, I've got them circled, uh, starting over here, uh, on starting over on the on the right here, uh, where you can see uh, where he goes, number five to Mahanam, and then uh, that's where uh, the host of angels came. Remember, the angels came and kind of assured him that everything was going to be okay, and then at Peniel, uh, that's where he sent his family across the brook Jabbath. Uh, to uh, uh, so that they would be safe, and uh, and actually, uh, the angel of the Lord came there and wrestled with him at that very location, uh, and then, and the next place they went to was uh, Sukkoth. That was uh, uh, we kind of left off there last week, and I don't know if you noticed or not, but when we when we left off, he was there and. Uh, and uh, his brother Esau wanted him to go south with him to Seir. And he said, no, I don't want to do that. Uh, I think I'm just going to stay here for a while. And he actually built uh, uh, structures for his animals. So that's a good indication that he planned on staying there for a while. But if you if you look at the the land there, you can see Th- Succoth is the one right in the, in the middle. And so you got the Jordan uh, River Valley there. So... It, you know, I can imagine it's just going to be beautiful grazing lands. Uh, there's going to be like uh, like small mountains on either side. Just a beautiful place to stay and a good place to graze your crops and uh, I mean your flocks. And so, so anyway, uh, that's where we. Uh, just to give you an idea of where we're at uh, geographically and and ultimately, uh, he's God told him to go to Bethel. Uh, he started off in Haran, and Haran is off this map, but if, if you go up, say, 300 miles uh, off the upper right-hand corner of that map, that's where Haran is, three to 400 miles, that direction there. So that's where he came from with Uncle Laban. And if you look at the map here, too, it shows uh, Galid. You can see the mountains of Galid. Remember, we talked about it last week. That's where Laban actually caught him. Okay, uh, but when I looked at the map, I could kind of see why. Oh, I see why I probably wanted to stay here. It looks pretty nice just looking at it uh, on a map geographically, anyway. So, so anyway, so th- that's just a little bit on the geography, and just to give a little recap, uh, he's he's on his way. Uh, him and his family are on their way back uh, to Bethel. God came to him. And, told him you need to go back to that place, right? Initially, that's where he started off. Remember, about it's been, well, at this point, it's been probably about 30 years now. But uh, uh, when he initially left and he put his head on the rock there and he saw the angels going up and down into heaven, 
uh, that's the place of Bethel, right? So he's going back there. And so if you remember, he starts on his way back. Laban tracks him down. And uh, if you remember, Rachel hid Laban's idols in the camel saddle and then sat on him. Uh, and basically, he's afraid of Esau, and it ends out that him and Esau uh, reconcile, and they become, uh, I don't know if they're best buds or not, but Jacob definitely gave him a whole bunch of stuff. And so he stops at Sukkot there, and he builds a house and booths for his livestock. And like I said, he probably spent some time at Sukkot, between seven and ten years. I kind of looked around a little bit, and it, it varies, but but at least seven years, up to ten years that he spent there. So tonight we're going to just finish up chapter 33. It's at verse 18. So uh, Genesis chapter 33, verse 18. And it says, Then Jacob came safely to the city of Shechem, which is in the land of Canaan, when he came from Padan Aram. And he pitched his tent uh, before the city. And and he brought and he bought a parcel of land uh, where he pitched his tent from the children of Hamor, Shechem's father, for a hundred pieces of money. Then he erected an altar there and called it uh, El Eholi uh, Israel. And so, number one, uh, El Eholi Israel, he, it means a mighty God is the God of Israel. Remember Bethel met. Bethel met uh, uh, yeah, El Elohi, mighty God is the God of Israel. So starting in chapter 34 then, verse 1, it says, Now Dinah, the daughter of Leah, whom she had borne to Jacob, went out to see the daughters of the land. So Dinah was just went out for a stroll to like meet the local people. She's probably about 14 or 15 years old. And when Shechem, the son of Hamar the Hivite, the prince of the country saw her, he took her and lay with her, and he violated her. So that's the Bible way of saying that Shechem raped her. Uh, Shechem, well, he his dad was the prince, so he's politically connected. I mean, his dad was the prince of that area. I mean, it seems like the family had been in power for a while because he named the city after his son. So um, uh, his dad was a local prince or chieftain. In verse 3, it says, uh, His soul was strongly attracted to Dinah, the daughter of Jacob, and he loved the young woman and spoke kindly of the young woman. So Shechem spoke to his father Hamor, saying, "Uh, Get me this young woman as a wife. In verse 5, And Jacob heard that he had defiled Dinah, his daughter. So it's kind of interesting that, that it says that Jacob, he heard that this had happened. In other words, it wasn't like it happened and Dinah came and told him. He heard it had happened. Uh, and we'll, we'll read here in a little bit. Um, it appears that Shechem actually uh, not only raped her, but he held her captive also. So uh, continue on. Now his sons were with his livestock in the field, so Jacob held his peace until they came. So Jacob hears about this. He decides he's not going to do anything. All of his boys are, you know, out with the flocks. He's going to wait for them uh, to get back. In verse 6, Then Hamor, the son of, uh, excuse me, Then Hamor, the father of Shechem, went out to Jacob to speak with him. And the sons of Jacob uh, came in from the field when they heard it. Uh, 
And the men were grieved and very angry because he had done a disgraceful thing in Israel by lying with Jacob's daughter, a thing which ought not to be done. So her her brothers find out about it and they're you know, they're angry, you know, and uh, rightly so. I mean, it's just that's a bad thing that happened, right? And verse eight, but Hamar spoke with them, saying, "The soul of my son Shechem longs for your daughter. Please uh, give her to him as a wife, and make marriages with us. Give us, give your daughters to us, and take our daughters to yourselves. So you would, you shall dwell with us, and the land shall be before you. Dwell and trade in it, and acquire possessions for yourselves in it." Then Shechem said to her father and her brothers. Let me find favor in your eyes, and whatever you say to me, I will give. Ask me ever so much dowry and a gift, and I will give according to what you say to me. But give me the young woman as a wife. Verse 13, But the sons of Jacob answered Shechem and Hamor, his father, and spoke deceitfully. In other words, they're they're lying right here. Uh, Because he had defiled Dinah, their sister. And they said to him, We cannot do these things to give our sister to one who is uncircumcised, for that would be a reproach to us. It's kind of sad here that they, they're they kind of bringing God into the situation here because it was, uh, you know, Abraham was the, the first Hebrew and, the, you know, the covenant of the circumcision. And so uh, it was a, it was a religious thing to them. And so they're basically saying, you know, we really can't do this because, you know, you guys aren't circumcised. And uh, it's kind of sad, especially when we see what follows. In verse 15, but on this condition, we will consent to you. So this is uh, the brothers talking to Shechem. If you will become as we are, if every male of you is circumcised, they will, then we will give our daughters to you and we will take your daughters to us and we will dwell with you, and we will become one people. But if you do not heed us and be circumcised, uh, then we will take our daughter and be gone. So verse 18, And their words pleased Hamor and Shechem, Hamor's son. Uh, so the young, woman did not, the young man did not delay to do uh, the thing because he delighted in Jacob's daughter. He was more honorable than all the household of his father. And Hamor and Shechem, his son, came to the gate of the city. We've talked about this before. The gate of the city was kind of like what we would consider city hall. And they would get there. You could get everybody together and kind of have a big meeting. So they're having this big meeting. It says, and they spoke with the men of their city, saying, verse 21, these men are at peace with us. Therefore, let them dwell in the land and trade in it. For indeed, the land is large enough for them. Let us take their daughters to us as wives, and let us give them our daughters. Only on this condition will the men consent to dwell with us, to be one people. If every male among us is circumcised, as they are circumcised, will not their livestock, their property, and every animal be ours? Only let us consent to them, and they will dwell with us. So if if you look at what's going on here, both sides are really not being uh, up front about, you know, the agreement. The Canaanites were 
based on what the guy just said, basically say, you know, we'll just do the deed here, and then gradually we're just going to get all their stuff anyway. So they kind of have ulterior motives. And Jacob's sons, uh, they were kind of out for revenge, and it turns out uh, everything that actually belonged to these uh, uh, the Canaanites that lived in this uh, city of Shechem. So number two, both sides had hidden motives in Dinah's marriage agreement. And verse 24, And all who went out to the gate of the city heeded Hamor and Shechem his son. Every male was circumcised, all who went out of the gate of, the, this, of his city. So the Canaanites there, they uphold their end of the agreement. Verse 25, Now it came to pass on the third day, when they were in pain, that two of the sons of Jacob, Simeon and Levi, Dinah's brothers, each took his sword and came boldly upon the city and killed all the males. And they killed Hamor and Shechem, his son, with the edge of the sword, and took Dinah from Shechem's house and went out. So you can see that she was still at Shechem's house. So number three, uh, Shechem violated Dinah. Dinah and held her captive until her brothers rescued her. Um, if you really think about it, it's a very uh, brutal scene. Uh, they killed Hamar, they, they killed Shechem, and all the males of the city. But if you think about it, when they when they killed uh, Hamar and Shechem, uh, they almost, uh, out of necessity, had to kill all the rest of them too. I mean, just thinking of it from a military standpoint, it would be like if uh, somebody came in and shot the president and the vice president, there there would be retaliation against whoever did that sort of a deed. And so in order to avoid that, because they were relatively small compared to the, the Shechemites here. So, um, uh, yeah, retaliation. So I think they, they had to plan it out in advance. Uh, I think it's pretty amazing that two guys could come in and take care of everybody like that. It was just those two. Uh, So that in itself is uh, pretty amazing. Uh, Verse 27, the sons of Jacob uh, came upon the slain and plundered the city because their sister had been defiled. So then once the deed had been done and all the brothers came in and, you know, they they, uh, started taking everything out of the city says they took their sheep, their oxen, their donkeys, what was in the city and what was in the field, and all their wealth. All their little ones and their wives they took captive, and they plundered even all that was in the houses. And then Jacob said to Simeon and Levi, You have troubled me by making me obnoxious among the inhabitants of the land, among the Canaanites and the Perizzites, and since I'm few in number, they will gather themselves together and kill me, and and I shall be destroyed, my household and I. So number four, Jacob headed for Bethel, uh, only 15 to 20 miles away. That's another thing. He wasn't that far away. It wasn't like oh, he could leave and travel 100, 200 miles. He was just going down the road a little patch here is where his destination was. So... Um, uh, yeah, um, he was concerned that he and his family would be killed by the people of Canaan. Uh, and we're going to see later 
I mean, much later in the book of Genesis, that Jacob never forgets this day at, at the end of his life when he's handing out uh, the blessings. Uh, uh, Simeon and Levi end up with actually nothing, nothing whatsoever. So it's not like this is an act that that went, you know, completely, uh, you know, unnoticed or unaccounted for. But 31, verse 31 Remember, let me go to 30 and then read 31. It says, Then Jacob said to Simeon and Levi, You have troubled me by making me obnoxious among the inhabitants of the land, among the Canaanites and the Perizzites. And since I am few in number, they will gather themselves together against me and kill me. I shall be destroyed, my household and I. And then they reply in 31, But they said, Should he treat our sister? like a harlot. So, you know, when it, when you look at this, it's just from every angle that you look at it, it's just a, a horrible uh, situation. You know, and the thing that, that, that I thought about is, is that, you know, it's, it, it's kind of parallels a little bit where, where, you know, Abraham went down into Egypt and he wasn't supposed to and he kind of, kind of got in trouble there. And you kind of wonder what would have happened if, uh, if uh, you know, if Jacob had went just straight through to, uh, to Bethel. You know, there's no, way of, there's no way of really knowing, but it's been, you know, at least 10 years at this point since he left uh, Uncle Laban's place. And, and so there is... For sure, I think that we can count on is that if we don't do what God uh, tells us what to do, that things are not going to go well. Uh, I think you can you can you can take that much to the bank. You know, the the Ten Commandments are very uh, uh, they're so simple, but if you think about it, God says, you know, uh, uh, it says uh, honor your father and mother and. And I think it's safe to say that if you don't honor your father and mother, there's going to be there's going to be problems uh, in your life. Uh, it says, "Do not commit murder." Obviously, if you commit murder, there's you're definitely going to experience troubles at some point or other. You're probably going to end up in jail or maybe uh, killed yourself. You know, uh, don't commit adultery. I mean, all these things that God tells us uh, not to do in this case. You know. If we if we go forward with that stuff, you know, bad things happen. You know, things don't go well when you go against what God has told you to do here. And I, I think that has something to do with what's happening with with Jacob here in the New Testament. You know, when they asked Jesus uh, what the greatest commandment was, he replied in uh, Matthew uh, twenty-two, uh, starting at thirty-seven. And Jesus said to him, "You shall love the Lord, uh, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment." So I just want to, you know, I got the word "shall" underlined there because that word "shall" is kind of like a legal word. Uh, there's no wiggle worm in "shall." It's not like you'll do, you will do this or you will do that. If you shall, if when when a person when they say "shall," that's like there's no. Uh, there's no other way. So he's saying, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, 
with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest uh, great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all of the law and the prophets. So Jesus kind of wrapped up everything in the Old Testament into a couple of sentences. And, uh, you know, that's that's good. And, uh, you know, but it's also kind of convicting uh, when Jacob didn't do what God commanded him and returned directly to Bethel, uh, things didn't go well for uh, Jacob. Uh, so I would say it's safe to say we would do well to do what Jesus uh, commanded us, you know, to love God and to love people. You know, I'm just wondering how serious that everyone takes that. If the church actually took that really serious, um, I think that our churches would be overflowing. Uh, We'd have to beat people away with a stick if we actually did that. You know, but I I know what happens because it happens to me and it happens to everyone is that you get caught up in life, the things that are going around you, you know, uh, you know, whatever it is that's distracting you. I mean, I'm sure, I mean, just from the little we know about Jacob, I think he was he's probably caught up in his family. He's got a lot of kids, a bunch of rambunctious boys, and, you know, and he's got all these flocks. And I think he just, I think he got busy with life and forgot what God told him to do, you know. It's kind of like we talked before about, you know, it's so easy to drift away. Uh, to drift away, you you don't have to do anything, nothing, and that's where the problem comes in. And so, so Jacob, he's undoubtedly at a low point in his life. I would say, I mean, after this, he's probably gone. He's probably wondered, wow, what did I teach these guys that they would go off and do something like that? You know, but you know what? In chapter thirty-five. Uh, God is faithful, he reminds Jacob. So chapter 35, verse 1, it says, Then God said to Jacob, Arise and go to Bethel and dwell there, and make an altar there to God, who appeared to you when you fled from the face of Esau, your brother. So I think we've talked about this before. God tells Jacob to build an altar, and I think he told him to build an altar so that he wouldn't forget. You know, it's so easy to forget. That's why I'd say, you know, it's for us, it's difficult. We, It's not really maybe practical for us to go pile a bunch of stones up in a field because, you know, we, we're not nomadic herders. But, you know, we could highlight something in our Bible or we could write something down. And, you know, when we come back and read the Bible, revisit that, we can come back to the stuff where we know where God has spoke to us, you know. And so I think that God wants us, you know, to remember because he knows we're going to forget. In verse 2, And Jacob said to his household and all who are with him, Put away the foreign gods among you and, and purify or wash yourselves and change your garments. Uh, let us arise and go up to Bethel, and I will make an altar there to God who answered me in the day of my distress and has been with me in the way which I have gone. So they gave Jacob all the foreign gods which were in their hands and the earrings, which were in their ears. And Jacob hid them under the terebinth tree, uh, which was by Shechem. So uh, number five, when departing 
for Bethel. Jacob has everyone turn in their pagan gods, including their earrings, which represent uh, idol worship. So, uh, number six, in the ancient times, washing the body and changing clothes symbolize making a new beginning. I mean, even up until just recently, I'd say within the last 50 years, I don't think... uh, taking a shower every day and changing your clothes, you know, changing your underwear every day. That wasn't a common occurrence. It just didn't work like that. I think, uh, you know, if you got a bath once a week, you're doing pretty good. And But, you know, this is just in the recent past. Uh, so if you're going to go back to the ancient times, uh, you know, it was a big deal to take a bath and put on some fresh clothes. And so it it represented, it was a big deal. It represented something, you know. And so he's telling them, hey, turn in all these idols, you know, the earrings, everything. Take a bath, put on a fresh set of clothes. It's a new day now, okay? So he's kind of making a statement for God. Put away all this other stuff, you know. You know, that applies to us too. Whatever it is that, Whatever your little household God is, you know, or whatever that may be, just put it away. Make a new start. So, in verse 5, and they journeyed, uh, this is kind of interesting, and they journeyed, and the terror of God was upon the cities that were uh, all around them, and they did not pursue the sons of Jacob. So their reputation had preceded them, I think. They may have heard, look, these guys, two of their guys went in, and wiped out everybody, all the males in the city, and captured them. So, so, for better or for worse, I mean, that is, I mean, I'm just thinking as a military guy, two guys coming in and wiping out a whole city worth of males, even though they are incapacitated, is a pretty big deal. And I think their their, their, uh, their reputation preceded them. And so when... And so when they went out, nobody went near them. They were afraid of them. So number seven, God keeps his promise and protects Jacob and his family. And verse six, so Jacob came to Luz, that is Bethel, which is in the land of Canaan, he and all of his people who were with him. And he built an altar there and called the place El Bethel, uh, the God of the house of God, uh, because there God appeared to him uh, when he fled from the face of his brother. So, uh, number eight, El Bethel means the God of the house of God. So, yeah. So, El, whenever you see El by itself, that means God. It's just uh, the way it gets translated. And, and even if it's in a word like Bethel, uh, the house of God, Daniel, uh, God is judgment. Uh, so, Number uh, verse eight. Uh, now Deborah, Rebecca's nurse, died, and she was buried below Bethel under the terebinth tree. Uh, so the name of it was called Alan Bakuth, uh, which means uh, the oak of weeping. So, based on this, we can assume that Rebecca, uh, Isaac's wife or Jacob's mother, uh, has died. Uh, and uh, Deborah came to live with Jacob. 
So at this point, it's been 30 years since Rebecca planned the whole deception of Isaac. And as a result, she never saw her favorite son again. Remember, she sent him away. You just go with Uncle Laban for a few days and come back. And a few days turned into what we got about 30 years now. She never saw him again. You just never know what's going to happen. Uh, verse 9, Then God appeared to Jacob again uh, when he came from Padan Aram and he blessed him. And God said to him, Your name is Jacob and you shall not be called Jacob anymore, but Israel will be your name. So he called his name Israel. Also God said to him, I am God Almighty, you know, El Shaddai. Be fruitful and multiply. You know, there's so many times that God says that. Be fruitful and multiply. Be fruitful and multiply. Um, Gosh, every time I read that, I just think about everything that goes on in our culture now with birth control and abortion, just that whole scene. And I just wonder, you know, how does God feel about all that? You know, because it's throughout here. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall proceed from you, and kings shall come uh, from your body. The land which I gave Abraham and Isaac I give to you and to your descendants, and after you I give this land. Then God went up from him in the place where he had talked to him. So number nine, God reaffirms his promises to Abraham, to Jacob. So basically, everything I told Abraham is transferred to you, Jacob. Verse 14, it says, Jacob, So Jacob set up a pillar in the place where he talked with him, a pillar of stone, and he poured a drink offering on it, and he poured oil on it. And Jacob called the name of the place where God spoke to him, Bethel. Um, so this idea of a drink offering in uh, uh, Philippians uh, two seven, uh, Paul talks about the drink offering. He says, "Yes, and if I am being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all." So this idea of a drink offering, as they would whatever offering they get, was a, number ten as a drink offering was always in addition to another offering, okay? So the drink offering would they usually be like a cup of wine and they would dump the wine on the burnt offering and then the, it would steam up and it would be like a, a, a you know, a, a, it was to represent a joy to God over the offering that they were giving. So number 11, a drink offering was used to express joy in the Lord. Verse 16, then they journeyed from Bethel and when and there was but a little distance to go to uh, Ephrathah Rachel labored in childbirth and she had hard labor now come to pass when she was in hard labor that the midwife said to her do not fear you will have this son also so it was as her soul was departing for she died that she called his name Ben-Oni, but his father called him Benjamin. So it's kind of a sad thing. Uh, she's given birth to her second son, uh, and uh, she she dies in childbirth. And it was uh, fairly common back then, not so much now. But it's kind of interesting because, remember we talked about before, that 
they would either either give their they would name their kids that was that reflected what the current situation was or what their expectations for that child might be and so uh obviously at this point uh uh Rachel is uh she's dying and so Ben Oni means the son of my sorrow so so that's her take on the birth of Benjamin but it, which is what uh uh Jacob or Israel called him Benjamin which means the son of my right hand and so in the culture it was totally within Jacob's uh uh rights or whatever to to say you know I don't want my son to be called that because he saw him as the son of my right hand so verse 19 so Rachel died and was buried on the way to Ephrah, uh, that is, Bethlehem. Kind of interesting, huh? That uh, uh, that it's right in the area where Jesus was uh, born. And, uh, and Jacob set a pillar on her grave, which is the pillar of Rachel's grave to this day. And I understand I've never been to Israel, but you can actually go to the grave of Rachel to this day. So... Uh, then Israel, okay, now now we're, there's, a, you know, it's a shift is up until this point, he's always been referred to as uh, Jacob, and he's talked, we're going to change your name, but now he actually is referred to as Israel. So we know that this is actually Jacob, though. Then Israel uh, journeyed and pitched his tent uh, beyond the Tower of Eder. Um, uh, Tower of Eder is just a, a shepherd's watchtower where they could go up in this high tower and it was somewhere between uh, Bethlehem and Hebron. In verse 22, uh, And it happened when Israel uh, dwelt in that land that Reuben went and lay with Bilhah, his father's concubine, and Israel heard of it, heard about it. Remember, Bilhah was Rachel's maid. Okay, she... So it's uh, another... Uh, I don't know. Another disgusting act. Another reason why we don't have kids here tonight. Um, uh, it's not only disgusting, but it was in the culture. It was, it was viewed as a total disrespect for Israel, for Jacob. Say what? Reuben. Reuben is the firstborn of uh, Leah. So he's the firstborn of all of the boys. Yeah. So, uh, but it's it's total disrespect for Israel, and it was actually viewed as a move to take over, to be the head of the family. Okay. So, uh, fourteen, uh, Reuben will lose his rights as the firstborn, uh, as a result of his affair with Bilhah. Here again, uh, Israel, Jacob. Uh, he remembers all this stuff. And towards the end of the book of Genesis, when uh, he's basically on his deathbed and he's kind of handing out the blessings, uh, uh, these guys uh, are, are all uh, uh, held accountable. So it says, uh, Now the sons of Jacob were 12. Verse 23, The sons of Leah were Reuben, Jacob's firstborn, and Simeon, and Levi, Judah, Ishkar, and Zebulun. 
The sons of Rachel were Joseph and Benjamin. The sons of Bilhah, Rachel's maidservant, were Dan and Naphtali. And the sons of Zilpah, Leah's maidservant, were Gad and Asher. These were the sons of Jacob who were born to him in Padanaram. Uh, then Jacob came to his father Isaac at Mamre, or Hebron, at where Abraham and Isaac had dwelt. Now the days of Isaac were 180 years. So Isaac breathed his last and died and was gathered to his people, being old and full of days, his son, sons Esau and Jacob uh, buried him. So uh, it's a, it was kind of a, a interesting couple of chapters uh, actually, and I think the thing that that I came away with anyway was is that you know remember when Jacob was back there in Peniel remember when when he uh, wrestled with God and that was definitely a turning point in his life yeah, but uh, not necessarily a bunch of good things happened to him after that and I think that's kind of a the only thing I could come away with this is you know there's going to be uh, high points and low points uh, all along the way and in your walk with God, but uh, I think God's in it for the long haul, and uh, it's it's uh, easy for us. I mean, you know, we're you know we're gonna you know we're gonna drive through, you know, or we're gonna have instant messaging and all that sort of stuff. And uh, with God, it's a uh, it's a long term plan, and and as we go along and we read, uh, there's going to be other uh, things that we're going to read about coming up in a few weeks where, again, we won't have kids here because it's just talking about real-life stuff that happens. And uh, the thing that that encourages me through all of this is that you can see, even though there's some kind of bad stuff going down, that through it all, God is uh, faithful. And he's faithful to Abraham, uh, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, all these guys. And... Uh, you know, that transfers to us. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you that you're God Almighty and that, uh, Lord, you have uh, an ultimate plan for all of us. And, uh, Lord, you're not hands-off, that you are with us uh, all the time, and we know that you'll never leave us or forsake us. And, Father, I just uh, I just uh, pray, as always, that, that uh, you know, we... We would build our altar someplace in our mind. We'd make that memory to to remember you and, uh, Lord, everything that you've done for us. Just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.